Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, back from my brief time away. Eric Fawcett held down the fort beautifully, uh, both uh, as always at GatorCountry.com and hosting the pod with uh, some wonderful guests. Um, Eric, Alabama's good, huh? Yeah, they're uh, they're fantastic. And uh, again, I don't uh, don't think it's a situation where the Gators have to just like you know tip their hat and say like, well, this team's excellent. You know, this was a schedule loss on the road because I don't think the Gators showed particularly well. But there was also definitely um, it was definitely one of those games with plenty of situations where you just saw that the caliber of of athlete, the caliber of of, of coaching, the caliber of execution. Um, at the SE, at the highest level of the SEC is is at one level, and the Gators are not at that level. Whether it's one level behind, two levels behind, you know, it's 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 clear that the Gators um, were not competitive in 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 several kind of aspects in this one. And um, you know, I've always thought depth is overrated, and I do, I still do think depth is overrated when it comes to the games that really matter at the end of the season. Um, I think it's uh, I don't know still might be overrated during the regular season, but closer to properly rated in, in the regular season. Um, and it was one of those things where, where you look at the players even coming off the bench for, for Alabama, where it's like, you know, Dominic Welch would start on a lot of teams in the league. Namari Burnett would start on a lot of teams in the league. Um, uh, bringing Javon Quinterly off the bench. Like that's, <laughs> that's like, that's comical. Um, it's like, like they have guys that uh, you just look at that, at that depth, Noah Gurley, you know, he's a guy that Florida would have had starting if they had him, you know, last year. And, you know, presumably I would, well, I think he would start on this Florida team. So, so again, it's, uh, it, that's one thing that is just incredible um, that jumped off the page is like their, if, if, if their bench was a starting five in the SEC, I think they're, you know, competitive for a seventh or eighth or ninth spot in the league. Um, so again, while I don't think they won that game with depth, they won it with their best players being much, much better than Florida's best players, or, you know, maybe not at the top. Colin Caston was outstanding, which we'll talk about, but uh, yeah, it was just one of those things where if you're looking at little, uh, a checklist of what makes an elite basketball team, uh, Alabama checks a lot of those boxes and the Gators are, you know, behind in, in several categories. Yeah, no, Florida's definitely clearly behind Alabama in, in multiple ways uh, right now. Um, and I think that is a shame. You mentioned Colin Castleton being really good. Um, you know, NATO it's after the game graciously, you know, you could argue graciously, but certainly pointed out he felt like, you know, Colin Kassenham was one of the two best players in our league. And he didn't mention that he <laughs> felt Brandon Miller was clearly the other one, but um, it's kind of hard to argue that point. I mean, Colin keeps showing up night in, night out. And you know, what's fascinating is like Florida has not led a single minute in the last two games at Rupp arena against Alabama, zero minutes with the lead. Um, and in both games, they've just gotten monster outings from Castleton. Yeah, he's he's been truly outstanding, and and again, this is something we try not to do in the podcast. We try not to play body language doctor or armchair psychologists, but it certainly looks like he is playing like someone who knows this season is in a dire situation. Um, and we'll talk bracketology at 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 some point. I don't know, I if when we'll get into it, Neil, but we got to talk about it at some point. But these these last two games. We this is something that we said. Well, and like like or I'll I'll just say, I'll talk for me and I'll talk for Graham who is on the podcast where we thought if the Gators really want to be in the NCAA tournament, 
they may have had to have won one of the games that they weren't projected to win, which, yep. you know, would have been at Kentucky or, or Alabama. And uh, Colin Castleton played like he, you know, like he thought that he is just was playing like a man possessed and leaving it all out there. And, um, you know, Golden mentioned even in his press conference, he's like, yeah, he's playing 38 minutes a game for us. He doesn't take possessions off, which is just, you know, that's, that's high praise. And yeah, um, it's uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's been a truly outstanding effort. And, and I, this is maybe early for this conversation, Neil, but, and this, this could be a tough question for two reasons. One, it's going to test your, you know, long-term Florida knowledge and also be maybe a little bit of a depressing thing to think about, but just again, uh, of course, Neil has been, you know, following the Gators, covering Gators longer than, than I have. If the Gators were to miss the NCAA tournament this year, which um, could happen, they certainly could make it. Would Colin Castleton be the most wasted talent in Florida basketball history? And I'll just talk through this a little bit, you know, quickly while you ponder it. I just, I just can't think of a name, but of course, Castleton played like a, I'll say all American adjacent player last year. Um, you know, somewhere in that top 25, top 50 players. Um, this year is also interesting to see that uh, after these two efforts, he's back in Ken Palm's algorithm as a top 10 player in the country. Um, of course, he's looking like arguably the first or second best player in the, in the SEC. And we are at a risk of, of two very, very good Colin Castleton seasons ending without a postseason or sorry, not without an NCAA tournament. Yep. Like if, if that happens is, has there been a player that has been as good as Castleton has been that I, you know, I use the term wasted. I, I just don't know a better term to say it. I'm not trying to, it sounds so negative, but like, is there a player that has played this well for two seasons and, and not been in the NCAA tournament? Like, is there, is there anything like this in Florida basketball history? Um, I don't know if Neil walk ever played in the NCAA tournament. Now the thing about Neil walk was that that was like the late sixties and early seventies, I think, or late sixties. I'm actually just going to look it up real quick. So if any of our listeners hear my clickety clackety, they <laughs> yeah. And, and again, it's just one of those things that, that kind of yeah, brought so, me a little bit of, of, of sadness thinking about is that like, yeah, Colin Castleton has been outstanding. I think for so long, you know, you think about like really for a long time, cause we can even go back to the 2014s where the Gators were a really good team, but they didn't have that clear star that was like a top 10 player in the, in, in the country. It's been quite a while since the Gators have had a player really in the conversation. Keontae Johnson could have been that if he stayed around in Florida and was healthy. Um, and, but like the Gators right now have a player who's, who's in that range. And I think for so long, that's been what Florida basketball has not had. When you look at the other programs in the same, same kind of realm as them programs have had, you know, guys that were going to be lottery picks or they were, you know, top 10 players in the sport. Gators haven't had one. They've kind of, their strength has been multiple guys that play connected, even going back to 2014s. Now the Gators have a guy like that. And it's just one of those things where I find themselves in a dogfight here for the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So the answer to the question was, um, yeah, it would be Neil Walk, who was Florida's first consensus All-American, not their first All-American selection, but their first consensus All-American was second team All-American in 1969, led Florida to the NIT, which was actually Florida's first postseason berth in basketball. Um, hmm. So Florida has almost no pre-integration history to speak of, which is why whenever, you know, opposing fan bases will like mock Florida's tradition a little bit or quote a winning percentage and stuff like that. And it's never modern basketball. It's never either 
when the three-point shot was administered, which really I think is where the metric should be, um, or integration, which at worst should be where the <laughs> metric should be because, you know, they actually allow black people to play in the SEC, and that seems like a much more fair metric. Now, Florida's the second winningest program since the three-point shot and third since integration um, in the SEC, uh, behind obviously Kentucky and then behind Kentucky and Tennessee uh, as it relates to integration. But yes, so the answer is walk um, would be the last time that that's happened. And that was in an era where one, the SEC wasn't fully integrated and two, um, the the NCAA tournament only took 16 teams. So, um, and there were auto bids for league champions. So it wasn't like Florida really had a path once they finished second in the SEC. Um, you know, so, I mean, I guess they did, but they weren't going to get one of the like very small handful of at large bids. Uh, nonetheless, I mean, I think that's the answer to the question though. And it really is a shame because like Nato said, I mean, we're talking about, and apparently Kim Palm now points out he's, he's really been one of the best players in the SEC and he outclassed, say outclassed he outplayed oscar shibway at rub um and then you know it was really good uh last night i mean to go for, for example he was minus 16 yesterday in a game that florida lost by 28 and trailed by 30 in the first half yeah there you go and and uh so yeah ken palm has their like they just ranked their top 10 players kind of wish they did more just because it would be interesting but it does keep it that when you go to a Ken Palm page and you see someone with uh, a number in a dark gray square, you, you know, that player is legit. So Colin Castan is currently 10th um, players ahead of him directly are, are, are Jalen Pickett and, and Marcus Sasser, Jaime Jaquez. Um, and then you get into the Drew Timmy's Brandon Miller's Jalen Wilson's and, and of course, Zach Eady is a mile ahead of everyone. Um, they also have game <laughs> MVP leaders um, and Castleton is tied for fourth with 12 and it's Zach Eady at 17. Then it's Drew Pember, Azulas Tubelis at 13. And then he's tied at 12. So like, yeah, he has been, been truly outstanding. And, uh, again, it's, it's not just on the offensive end. He obviously gets it done on, on the defensive end. And he's one of those guys that, um, uh, I, I'll also, I, well, I was going to say quote golden. I won't quote him cause I don't have it in front of me, but again, he mentioned in his press conference that, uh, you know, this is a guy that. They, they hope they can send off the right way with an NCAA tournament berth because he deserves it with how he played. And again, I think that was probably a little bit of a negative tone for me to bring up. Hey, Neil, do you think that if, you know, this could be the biggest waste of, of you know, Florida basketball, you know, post-integration, which is, once again, just a reminder, it's just like crazy that that was not that long in, in the past. Um, it's, it's uh, yeah, they, they, the Gators still have still have opportunities for sure to to make the NCAA tournament. I I, I want to be clear, um, but uh, yeah, it certainly what it wasn't like. Well, they you know this Alabama game was 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 must win, but uh, yeah, they got blasted, and I think that that's one thing that's that you know we didn't discuss as much. Like we can argue what games are much must win and and what aren't, but I think we all kind of knew that this was not a must win game. We knew that the Gators were likely to lose this one. The one thing we didn't talk about is like, well, if you want to still be, you know, competitive in uh, the NCAA tournament race, you want to be competitive on the bubble, you can't get boat raced. And we saw the Gators drop significantly in Ken Palm. I think it was six spots, which is, I would say, a pretty significant drop. And I think like four-ish spots in the net. I, I forget. Yeah, three. But three spots, which is not terrible. But again, the idea of this whole kind of thing that we've been talking about where the Gators at least need to win the games that they're supposed to win. And 
you know, they can, will be able to lose some of the games they, they can lose. The assumption is you lose to what you're supposed to lose to. And that's going to keep your, your rankings about neutral. Well, because the Gators got, you know, dog walked, then they, they drop in all these metrics and that's, you know, that's, that's, that is a problem. So uh, unfortunately it's, it's not really a game where you can just be like, well, it's a tough game. The Gators lost, you know, is what it is. Got to win the games supposed to win. Like they did do themselves damage by the way in which they lost. Yeah. And remember, this is a system that is set up to not be particularly punitive when you lose like mm. a quad one, a game on the road, <laughs> but you still can't get blown out by 28. Um, I guess I'll transition into some over kind of overview thoughts in a second, but I did want to ask about the guards before we move on, you know, Todd Golden said, we're going to flush this game. We probably won't even watch the film. Um, I don't think we even need to talk about that comment. Like I get it from a coaching standpoint. What I don't think is good is this was the second straight game where Florida's guards struggled and they had been so good in that stretch of good basketball. Um, Kyle Lofton and Myron were over 10 uh, yesterday from the field. Um, shoot. Kyle even missed two free throws, which doesn't really happen. He did have six assists. Um I mean, again, Jones and Lofton aren't turning the ball over, which I guess is one positive. But Florida's just getting zero offensively from their backcourt. Yeah, and, and and again, something we've talked about several times and we'll continue to talk about for the life of this podcast is that if you're going to compete at the top level of the SEC, you need NBA talent. Um, this was interesting, and I don't mean to single out just Kyle Lofton. I, I will also use this to elevate Riley Kugel, who is outstanding. But there's been two games where the Gators have played teams that are like, you know, really loaded with kind of like really high, high level athleticism, length, um, you know, and, and maybe at the NBA level. So let's go back to that, that UConn game. So of course, Riley Kugel was one of the players that stood out in that game. Kyle Lofton had zero points. Then the next game where they played a team like that has, you know, really, really high level length, athleticism, speed, agility. That was Alabama. Kyle Lofton has two points. So, Again, it's just one of those situations where, uh, you know, the, the Gators really valued in, in the portal. They, they loved Kyle Lofton's um, experience. They loved his leadership abilities. But, man, there's just times where he is not able to get to where he needs to on the floor against guys that are so much quicker and and, and athletic than him. And I, I think there's just been a couple of games where, yeah, it's just what, what more is there to say in, in a game like this where he's, you know, 0 for, 0 for 8. And, again, he missed some that at the rim that I think he's going to finish. But of course the, the threat of the jumper isn't really there um, with the way the teams guard him. Um, so that didn't open anything up. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 I, I could have maybe gone for a little bit more Trey Bonham in that one, to be honest. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's all, it's always easy to of course look at games where you're blown out and say like, well, like, you know, what's going to happen. You put Trey Bonham in and you know, is, is the fear that you lose by 30 instead of, you know, 27 or whatever, 28. Right. Um, but uh, you know, there's just there's just games like this where you could kind of establish fairly quickly that that Lofton was not going to be able to get to the spots on the floor where where he needed to get to um, with those first couple side ball screens. And uh, I just there's there's just times where you know I think that I'm just I'm just found looking for a little bit more more electricity. And um, again, do I think that putting Trey Bonham in would have significantly changed the tenor of this game? Um, no. And I think that that's another thing that tells you a little bit about this this team is that like. 
yeah, the, 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 maybe, maybe the horses aren't, 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 aren't totally there. And, and again, it's one thing to compare yourself to Alabama, who's of course, looks like they could win a national championship. Uh, but uh, again, this was a game that I think the Gators, I think Ken Palm had Alabama by nine or 10. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a whole lot more than that. So I think that the Gators, you know, probably should have been somewhat competitive in this game. Uh, They weren't. Yeah, they weren't. And another bad first half, um, you know, it's just things have just plagued Florida Uh, in this four game run with the exception of the Tennessee game. You know, these first halves did not go well. Uh, that's got to stop. They got to do a better job of scouting. And so that leads me to kind of a good spot to transition, which is that, you know, um, from the overview perspective, Florida's now lost. Uh, they've now suffered three of the worst five losses this century, um, this season in year one under Todd Golden. Uh, Mike White lost one game in his tenure by more than 20 points. That was a 21 point loss at Kentucky last year. I mean, so, you know, that's, I mean, you could think that Todd Golden is a great hire. You could think that things are looking up for Florida basketball, and I'm going to get into on this show some of the reasons that they are. Um, But those are not, this roster in particular is not so bad that they should be losing games by these lopsided margins. And a lot of those losses have been borne by terrible first halves, whether it's West Virginia or last night where they lose 52-23, they're down 30. They were down 40-15 to 15 before Todd Golden called a timeout. Um, you know, so I think they've got to do a better job on the scouting end. And if they don't have the right person on staff to do that, then they need to go and get them. Um, you know, and, and so those are just sort of criticisms that I think are fair, and we try to level fair criticisms on this show. So I'm kind of interested in your thoughts on on my sort of overview criticisms um, considering those things. Well, it, it just seems like we're, we're now at the point where it doesn't really matter. The, the opponent, the Gators are, are playing. They're going to go get into empty side ball screens and they're going to reverse the ball and get into some empty side ball screens. And they're occasionally going to throw it into to the high post and maybe get into a dribble handoff. But it's, it's, it's one of those things where the, the problems are, of course, much larger on the, the offensive side of the ball. And when you play a team like Alabama, those bad shots offensively were turning into runouts for, um, for the Crimson Tide. So I think that it's, it's in, in terms of the overall scouting, I, I don't even know if it's as much a scouting thing as it's still just overall the offensive system is is not good enough. I think the defensive scouting has been was been quite good. I think they've gotten with some good game plans and, and executed. Like to me it's just like the offense is just so inadequate. This the system is so inadequate. And and I don't so again I yeah. guess I I would separate that from from scouting. That's fair. Um, but like, like I just, I wouldn't say it's inherently the same scouting, but just one of those things when it comes to scouting, it just seems like the Gators are coming into every game with the game offensive game plan. And yes, I'm, I'm sure there's adjustments they're aware about aware of. And uh, Hey, they're, they're one thing that the Gators have actually been really, really good at offensively that we've talked about is these after timeout plays. And that can be a part of scouting as well. You see how teams sure. are different actions and you, you run something to, um, Oh, you know that they're going to try to chase over this, this dribble handoff. Let's get that guy to take one step towards the ball, put his foot in the ground and cut back door. And they've gotten those. Things. So I'll put that into, into the, the scouting standpoint. Um, to me, the issues are just there. There's just so much, 
so many issues on the offensive end. And, and again, I would just echo something you said earlier. And we said before, I don't think that this team has a bunch of bad offensive players. Um, I, I think the system needs, needs a rather large overhaul um, in the off season. Yeah. And I mean, I think you do put in wrinkles and in terms of your scout, I mean, Florida's defensive scouts have been good. We've praised those Eric uh, pretty consistently. I wasn't even that concerned with Florida's defense last night, to be honest. Um, you know, I thought it was fine. You just, you can't run the kind of stuff they're running. I mean, shoot, part of what Alabama wants to do is get out and transition. They didn't do that very much. Florida only had 10 turnovers. Just Florida's not running stuff to get people open. They're not getting good shots, especially against quality opponents. Some of that's a scouting issue. Some of it's a system issue, I think. But Florida needs to address that. Um, and they need to address that moving forward, whether that's, you know, getting Kevin Hubday some help, um, shaking up the staff after one year, which has happened at places. It's not something that, you know, look, Todd Golden is very serious about rebuilding Florida um, to the national brand that he, you know, that, that we think it is that he talked about, you know, I don't, it's Todd doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to tolerate uh, losing. He's mm-hmm. probably not a guy who's going to tolerate an NIT with this type of roster, um, which, you know, to Eric's point, um, and I say that to our listeners, not to you, Eric, but it's a point Eric made much earlier in the season was that, you know, Todd Golden went out and talked about this roster, like this team had a chance to be really good. You don't typically see a first year coach do that unless they actually believe that they also landed a lot of their targets in the portal. Did they miss on some front court guys? Sure. But I'm wondering about the sting of that really given how tremendous Colin Castleton has been, Mm. Um, you know, so would it have helped to have Terry Roberts here? Absolutely. I mean, look at Georgia's 0-2 and and one of those losses is to a terrible Ole Miss team without Terry Roberts. So, um, you know, he's obviously a difference making player, but the point is these non-competitive losses are not good. They're not a good look. Um, And, you know, I did mention and have mentioned on Twitter that Nate Oates struggled his first year. They had some non-competitive losses. They had a talented roster. Um, That said, it's not totally the same. I mean, you know, Nate Oates obviously turned it around very quickly, won the SEC in year two with pretty much the same talent. Um, Adding, you know, Josh Primo to that mix uh, certainly helped. But, um, you know, Todd Scott, his work cut out for him. He's going to lose Colin Castleton. Uh, he's going to lose Myron Jones, who's been really good in SEC play. He's going to need a new point guard. I mean, that's three guys right there that are out of eligibility. Uh, so, you know, the portal changes a lot of things, but uh, Florida has a lot of work to do, which I think leads me to the listener question for you, Eric, which is um, from Drew Helmick. And he says, looking at the next seven games, five and two does seem very likely. Would that make it the first time an 11 and seven SEC record didn't make the tourney? The answer to that is no. Uh, South Carolina, Frank Martin did that a couple of times. Personally feel that 18 and 13 would not stack up against other bubbly resumes, though I hope I'm wrong. If Florida finished 19 and 12, though, would they go to the big dance or would you still think they need to do some work? So um, it's, I, I was actually going to ask you about this because I was going to throw it back to, again, something that is a common sentiment and something that Todd Golden even said himself, where he said, if we win the games we're supposed to win, um, you know, we think we're going to be there on Selection Sunday. 
Um, and at this point, I, I, I don't agree. Um, and that's so that'll be my take. So if the Gators um, were to win every every game that they're favored to win, so that's Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt again, Georgia, LSU, and then that would be a home win over Kentucky, and then they lose to Arkansas on the road, that would leave the Gators at three and ten in in quadrant one games. And I just and and again, here's another thing going back to what we talked about about the efficiency drop because they got boat raced by Alabama. The, the implication of winning the games you're supposed to win and being okay with, you know, losing is that you're probably going to end up about where the Gators are right now. Like if you don't steal wins that vault you, you don't lose games you're not supposed to win, that's going to keep you about where they are. So I think the implication, if you're talking about if, you know, if the Gators kind of hold serve would be that the Gators stay right where they are right now, which is 42nd or I forgot they're on the net now, somewhere in that, that low forties. And, and I, I, I personally, and again, this is kind of a bit of a, you know, so for, sorry, they're 46 now in the net. It's, it's again, you've, you've got to see what, you know, shakes down around college basketball. It's all, that's, what's always difficult about these conversations about like, Oh, would this record, because you're, you kind of still have to project what happens to other teams in the same range, but like in a vacuum, if I had to say right now, does, does winning all those games and, and losing at Arkansas, does that get the Gators in? I, I think no, truthfully. Um, and again, that's barring. We'll see what happens in the SEC tournament. But I will say if that happens, they will enter the NCAA tournament needing to win a couple of games because if they win those games, the other thing that's funny too is that the Gators are like the SEC is is down. So the Gators might finish fifth or sixth in the league with that record. So that means that their first game in the NC or in the SEC tournament wouldn't even necessarily be a resume boosting win. So they'll probably have to win that one. And another game against, you know, a better like that. That's actually where I think the the situation is. I think the Gators entering the SEC tournament three and ten in, in quadrant one. I just I just don't think that's good enough. And again, these are humans making these decisions. And I think every year there's more and more of a growing sentiment that you should allow really good mid major teams over high major teams that have had opportunities and haven't really cashed in. I think we're just slowly seeing that people are going in that direction. And yeah. if the Gators are somewhere between 40 and 46 in the net, they had 13 quadrant one opportunities and they've only won three of them. And of course, one of those is a good win, a t- really good win against Tennessee. But one of those is, you know, a win that is quad one, but I don't think anyone thinks is outstanding at Mississippi state or against Mississippi state. Yeah. I just, I, I, I don't think it's good enough um, personally. So again, that's, we'll have to see how everything shakes, shakes around, but I am, I, I said it on the podcast with Graham. I'll say it again. I'm kind of on the side of things where like, I even think the Gator is going, you know, six and one down the stretch here. I, I, I don't know if that's going to be good enough entering SEC tournament play where I think that there's going to be a lot of pressure. So the reason, the only reason I disagree is strength of schedule, um, which still matters. It's 11th right now in Ken Palm. It's 10th in Warren Nolan. Um, I like the Nolan one because it projects it out to the end of the season. Um, so it's not like a at this moment like type thing. Um, and I think if Florida finishes at 10th in strength of schedule and is 12 and six in their league in a power six league, I think they'll be okay. Um, point I'd make is that there's so much basketball to be played mm-hmm. for Florida to accomplish that with an offense that, you know, is just I don't even know what the right it's a broken wheelbarrow like you know so like can you get the rickety wheelbarrow to to six wins out of the next seven 
Um, I'd feel much more confident. Uh, interestingly, I think if like, let's say Florida lost that Kentucky game at home, like if they won at Arkansas, I'd feel much better. Like I think that Arkansas game looms really significantly huge, which is, is a tough task because Arkansas has been so good at home other than losing to Alabama. Um, I mean, then their games at home, they've just pretty much beaten people soundly. Uh, so Florida would have to sort of buck that and they'd have to do it on a Saturday as opposed to a weeknight. So, you know, you're got, you know, a sold out gym. It might Florida pretty much sells out everywhere anyway, because they're Florida. Um, which is one thing I like to tell people that knock the strength of Florida's program. I said, well, there's two programs that are selling out every game. When you come to visit, <laughs> there's Kentucky and there's the Gators. Um, whether or not that's just the history of the Gators, you know, that's, of course it is, but point being, that's the perception of Florida as a program is still strong because they sell out everywhere they go. But the question I think um, for me would be, can Florida kind of overcome what's a tremendous home court advantage? And that's going to be tough. I think um, even against an Arkansas team that struggles offensively because Arkansas is playing better and they might, you know, who knows? I mean, that could be Nick Smith's game, first game back. And then, you know, compound all the problems of playing in Fayetteville with like Nick Smith returning, um, you know, so I don't know, but I do think if they can get to 19 and 12 and 12 and six in the league, they'll get in um, as long as to Eric's point, they don't go and lose a game that doesn't help them in the first round of the sec tournament. The, the thing about that is if Florida is 12 and six in league play, they're probably going to get a buy. Um, mm. Good point. So if they get a bye and then they play five seed Kentucky and lose, does that hurt them? Probably hurts them if Kentucky's in trouble. It probably hurts them if they've already lost to Kentucky and Gainesville, but otherwise it probably doesn't hurt them that much. I mean, the committee showed us last year that they're certainly not going to reward a power six team that has a great conference tournament over a mid-major team that had a good body of work. That was Texas A&M's biggest problem last season. So, you know, I'm not sure how much the conference tournament matters so long as you avoid the like albatross losses. Um, so to Eric's point, if Florida has to play a first round game, I guess that's a second round game. If Florida has to play on Thursday, they need to not lose. Um, if they play on Friday, they may have already done enough work to get in. Um, or it might not even matter because the committee might say, hey, look, you had so many chances in the regular season. Like we're not even that concerned with the fact that you got a second win over Tennessee and Nashville or whatever. Um, but I think, I think 19 and 12 will get it done, but man, it's going to be hairy. So it's, it's, it's actually going to be like, as if we can look at this through like the objective lens as just a college basketball fan, like Florida's case is actually like going to be really, really interesting. Again, if say that they, you know, win the games they're supposed to win and lose a couple here down the stretch where they would have, you know, no bad losses, but like a ton of opportunity at good wins where they only got a couple, like it really, it's genuinely going to be very fascinating to see if that, if that happens just from like an objective fan of college basketball standpoint, I'm going to say just one more thing as, as well. And, and again, some people who don't like metrics or don't like the way that metrics have been used to evaluate teams relative to the NCAA tournament are going to hate this. But again, much like the we saw against Alabama where the Gators lost by a lot more than they're supposed to do and got hurt in the metrics. 
also just, you know, when it comes to these games that the Gators are going to be projected to win against the bottom of the SEC moving forward, I'll just say what the, like the Ken Palm projected scores are or the projected wins are. So, so against Vanderbilt um, at home, Gators eight point win against Ole Miss at home, 10 point win against Vandy on the road, only a two point win against George on the road, four point win against LSU on ho- at home in the last game of the season, 11 point win. I, I, I say that just to, to say too, that like, they're also predicting, you know, multiple possession wins for the Gators over a number of these teams. And it's one of those situations where if the metrics are suggesting you should beat LSU by 11 and you win by four, the Gators still could drop. And again, it's not that the, we, you know, the net is a sorting tool. It's not the official. They don't just take the 30, whatever top teams and put them in as at larges, but like, not only do the Gators, what I'm saying is not only do the Gators have to win these games, I think like, like the margin is getting extremely fine. Not only do the Gators have to win. I think they also have to, you know, cover for lack of a better term for our betting yeah. friends. Like they, they, they can't sneak by Vanderbilt in the next game. They, they need to, they need to win by what they're projected to win by or more. And uh, again, I just think it's, it's a lot of pressure, but I, I really do think that's, that's, that's where the Gators are. And I know there's lots of basketball to play, but uh and, and again, it's also something going back. I still remember when the SEC schedule was announced, and I forget if you agreed or disagreed, but I thought that the schedule was was really, really favorable to the Gators. And part of it was looking at these final final game stretch. It's like, well, the Gators are now in a situation where they're they're projected to finish six and one in the last seven games of the season, and their season hasn't even gone that well. So it's also one of those things that, like, say the Gators were playing well this season, had you know, really firing, like they could rattle off a whole bunch of wins and you know carry a whole lot of momentum into, into the sec tournament. Now they're fighting for their NCAA tournament, but um, you know, this, they, they've, they've had their opportunities. They've had a whole lot of quadrant one games, haven't got it done. Now they've got to be extremely fine. And that's going to, you know, be beating these teams that are expected to win by like 10 points or more. Yeah, no, all, uh, all terrific points. And I mean, to your point about the margins, I mean, like, look and look at the games where, where Florida did play pretty well, you know, at Auburn. Quad one opportunity that they missed. They lost by three. They moved up in Ken Palm. They moved up in the net from that game um, at Texas A&M. Quad one game. They lost by two. Uh, moved up in Ken Palm. Dropped one spot in the net. I mean, you know, so these margins really do matter. Like Florida, if they lose to Arkansas, you better go and be competitive. Like you better not get run out of the gym by, um, you know, the, the kid, that, the 18-year-old freshman that looks like he's 50. Um, what's his name? Welch. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, the return of Nick Smith, like better get out there and compete, you know? So, um, certainly a lot in front of them. Speaking of competition, Eric did want to let our listeners know, and I had kind of teased this on social media. Um, but, uh, we've gotten a lot of questions about the NIL space and I'm sure that because of the Jaden Rashada story, um, a lot of fans are very curious about how it's going in basketball. Um, and so I had conversations with people that would know, um, including Gail Lemerand, um, who, you know, has a street named after him um, at UF uh, and um, some other high level boosters this weekend, um, basically on a family vacation where they also happen to be present Um spent a lot of time talking, talking ball, talking Gator basketball in particular. And um, Florida and the NIL space and basketball is in a really good place. Um, They're in a really good place for two reasons. 
Um, one, the collective has done what it's supposed to do in the basketball space, which is just sort of get players advertising deals. They don't have to worry so much um, about these huge numbers to keep people in school. Obviously, Colin Castleton is a great example of someone who they helped get back. Um, but um, it's already doing that at present. The second reason is things that are coming, whether it be um, commitments from certain members of these high-level wealthy boosters. And I know that there's a lot of people who are concerned about whether these wealthy boosters are saying things and then not writing checks after the Rashada <laughs> deal. Um, that, based on the history of these people that I spoke to, is not a problem basketball. Todd Golden's aware of it. Um, you know, the assistants are aware of it. Scott Strickland is aware of it. They, so they have some really good financial commitments. The fundraising is very good for basketball. There's a real commitment to restoring the program back to national prominence. Um, and they all seem pretty convinced that a 37 year old energetic, you know, text messaging recruits, whatever he's able uh, calling people after a big win, you know, that him and Jonathan Sapphire and these guys are fired up to do that and to build Florida back. And they have a lot of financial backing from Gail Limeran and others um, who are going to help them. And then there's the Gatorverse, uh, which is really basketball specific um, and, and will launch. But I mean, that's an exclusive community that is connecting both fans to basketball student athletes in particular um, so they can get, you know, autograph collectibles, autograph signings at their different events, different real life experience and VIP events. And the whole point is that athletes receive a majority of that revenue. So it's just a way to funnel money towards basketball athletes specifically um, that doesn't require a big check from a wealthy donor. That's not something that Florida has in other NIL spaces. Um, but the Gatorverse is filling that gap already or will be filling that gap in the basketball space. So I think when you evaluate those things, you can say, hey, the state of, you know, the state of the union to reference something that happened this week in terms of Florida basketball is very strong um, and really, really looking up financially from that space. People ask me, hey, can you get into it on the rest of the level? And no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not qualified to speak on the terms of the Rashada deal, all the reporting that's out there seems really great. Um, you know, evaluate that. And as an indictment of the collective, if you want, if as an indictment of Hugh Hathcock, if you want, um, I think people can draw their own conclusions about that. What I can say is that the Gator Collective in the basketball space is working and that there's another, uh, the Gatorverse isn't exactly an NIL collective. It's something a little different, but it's specifically funneling revenue towards the basketball program. And then you have commitments from the likes of Gail Limeran and Bill France, who I think are the France family and the Limerans have been spectacular to the University of Florida. And the fact that they've decided, hey, you know what? We really want to put our money where our mouth is on basketball right now, um, especially from Gail, uh, is immense. So that's what I would kind of relay that message. I'm not sure what Eric, if anything could chime in on, on that, but I did think it was important that, you know, we spent eight to 10 minutes on a podcast discussing that because it's something that Todd's excited about um, from what I could gather. And it's something that, you know, the program as a whole is, is excited about and they feel better about where they are in a financial situation than they have in a very long time, if ever. So a real commitment to winning. 
Awesome to hear. That's great stuff. I don't, you know, have anything really more to add other than like, I, you know, I get asked questions about it and honestly, I, I just hate talking about it. Not because like, I love NIL. Let's be very clear. Um, this is um, I'm, I'm very happy that these, these players is, are getting rewarded for their labor. But like, I just remember when, when Castleton decided he, would, he was going to return to Florida and, you know, a certain media member was like, Oh, and you know, this, this opportunity and this, um, through, I forget if they said the Gator Collective or whatever NIL deal, um, you know, made sure that he's going to be, you know, compensated. And that was part of the reason he came back to school. And of course, there's a whole bunch of people who were like, oh, no, 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 that, you know, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Uh, he, you know, decided independently to return. And then, uh, then, you know, then legally the deal was, was negotiated. And it's, it's just, there's a whole lot of bad faith discussions about, you know, we don't need to get into that, but like, yes. it's one of those things where like, I just had no interest in in talking about that to then have people say, nope, nope, that's not what happened because you can't negotiate these until the players are committed. You know, it's, it's like, did I want to either turn a blind eye to the order of operations or, you know, I just, I didn't really have an interest in doing that. So all I will tell is to people is um, there are some players on the Gators that are getting really nice sums of money to current, to play basketball. Currently, there's also some that are getting, nothing or less than you think i will just i i hate to just tease it like that but uh that's that's just what i'll say there so there's there's definitely some money out there for for some guys um there's some guys that you might be surprised are are not getting and and again i'll also throw it back to when a lot of people said that uh, the one player i will say by name is kwasi reeves because i was pretty you know, annoyed at the time. And people will remember that him going into the portal was a lot of people were like, Oh, it's an NIL play. And I will just tell people that he, that was not an NIL play and he is currently, you know, he was not getting money fat. So I will say his name um, directly, but um, again, the market's still just trying to figure itself out here in, in college basketball, but uh, it is very exciting to hear, uh, hear what you, uh, that, that uh, those high level discussions you were having on your vacation. Neil. Yeah. And I mean, one of them, um, was about Riley Kugel and thinking of ways that they can, and these are, you know, people that can do it, thinking of how they can get this kid from Orlando that is really enjoying being in Gainesville um, back on campus. You know, let's make sure that, you know, a player that looks like he belongs on the floor with Alabama uh, does what a lot of these Alabama kids have done and comes back and continues to play college basketball. Um, and the fact that these things are being thought about deliberately um, well ahead of time to sit down and negotiate should encourage anyone. Um, that's just kind of my view on it. No, that's, that's, that's great to hear about Google because that's someone we think could be pretty special. And um, again, while the Gators are losing, um, you know, several players to graduation. Um, they're going to return some pretty good players too. So it's going to be interesting to see what those guys get as, as guys who have already right. kind of committed versus of course um, the transfer portal. It's going to be, be very, um, very important to the Gators, but it's uh, it's what, what you, what you need is, is support um, for sure. So to hear that there's the people who have those resources that are excited to support um, that should be very exciting. No, it definitely is. And, uh, you know, anytime you can get the family that uh, runs NASCAR and, and the Limerans on board with, hey, let's, what can we do about basketball? This is where we want, this is where we want to focus. Um, you know, I think that's super great. That may antagonize listeners, actually, <laughs> um, who are frustrated about 
a decade of largely mediocre college football. And I get that, but um, you know, I think that Florida is a place where excellence in basketball has been attained and sustained for three decades. So responding to the new reality, I think is important. And Todd Golden and, and Scott Strickland and folks are, are seem very satisfied that, that Florida's headed in the right direction. Um, one way they could head towards the NCAA tournament would be to, in fact, the, really the only way would be to beat Vanderbilt uh, at home on Saturday. Florida cannot afford to take a single quad three or quad four loss. It's odd that the strength of Florida's resume is sort of that they don't have any of those, but that is the strength of Florida's resume. You know, you look at, there are teams that have multiple bad losses. I mean, I think Virginia tech, for example, is done. Um, I think that their loss last night at home to Boston college ended their hope. They have to win the ACC tournament again, in my opinion. Um, Florida is not in a, we have to win the SEC tournament position right now. And it's largely because they haven't lost these games to teams like Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt coming off a uh, great win on a beautifully designed final play by uh, Jerry Stackhouse, um, who I thought had mailed it in, but apparently hasn't as Vandy has won two on the trot as they head to Gainesville. Well, I mean, honestly, like even if he's mailed it in, like he's still going to be able to, you know, when it comes to these these situations to drop after timeout plays or or get something big at the end of the game, like he is still very, very good at that. That has not been uh, the problem here for for Stackhouse or the Vanderbilt basketball era. So um, I do think they run really, really good offense. And uh, against Tennessee, they were able to get get a great shot when uh, when they really needed one for people who, uh, after the Gators beat Tennessee, were like, oh, I can't wait to fade these guys in the NCAA tournament. Um, that's, uh, you know, seeing them lose to Vanderbilt um, will, uh, you know, add, add more fuel to that fire. So uh, it's, it's, it's a hey, credit to credits of Vanderbilt. He's also, you know, in the mix here for a really good uh, finish here in the sec. They're, they're, in, yeah. they're ninth, just two spots behind the Gators. They're at five and six um, Arkansas and, and Florida are at six and five, which are, you know, six and seven right now. So Vanderbilt has an opportunity here to, to really, you know, finish pretty well in, in their conference tournament. Um uh, they do have a fairly difficult schedule um, remaining, of course, playing the Gators twice. Um, that's not great for them. They've got Kentucky, they've got Auburn. So, um, you know, they're, they're in a situation where they will have to try to steal some games. They're not going to be favored to win in. Um, but uh, yeah, pretty impressive for them. It's, it, it all starts on, uh, on the offensive side of the basketball, um, not just in those kind of set plays, but it's, 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 again, it's pretty impressive because uh, they don't have the, the Scotty Pippen jr. Anymore. Who's, uh, outstanding offensively and, and with someone they can <sighs> feature like their highest scorer right now is, is, is Liam Robbins. Who's been kind of a career role player, um, seven footer um, played at Drake played at Minnesota. Then at Vanderbilt, you know, was kind of a seldom used guy. Like then it was just like, Oh, we like ceremonially start him cause he's a seven footer. Uh, but now he's leading them in scoring giving them that kind of interior presence. And, uh, you know, he's only, uh, he's leading the way, but only at 13 points a game. So it's a pretty kind of like well-rounded team that is just, um, you know, quietly, uh, quietly 49th in the country in offensive efficiency, which is pretty outstanding for, for a program like, like Vanderbilt. Um, they don't have the athletes to be awesome defensively, um, especially on the perimeter, but uh, yeah, they can, uh, they can score. So if this game gets tight, um, like it was against Tennessee for them, um, you got to think that uh, they're a little bit scary with their ability to to potentially get a bucket. Yeah, they don't turn the ball over a ton either. Um, you know, they they certainly don't produce many turnovers, but they're 65th in the country 
in limiting turnovers, which is pretty good. And Ezra Manjohn, their point guard, is is pretty good passer and, and takes care of the ball. Mm. Um, in terms of uh, what they struck, well, let me back up. The Stackhouse thing is interesting. Eric mentioned his sort of X and O's prowess. Like he certainly is good at drawing up plays like he did to beat Tennessee. I mean, it's interesting. Like if he has mailed it in, that seems almost like a personal choice or like he knows something about the athletic program and kind of where they are and what he's building compared to, you know, the objective reality that he took over a program that had won one conference game in the two seasons prior to his arrival um, or one zero in the year prior to his arrival. And, and they uh, have gotten better in, in Ken Palm every year he's been there. I think including this season, I think they're still ranked above where they were a season ago. Let me make sure that's hundred percent correct. Okay. No, it's not. So they've dropped a little bit for the first time this year um, in Ken Palm, but they had improved every year. Uh, they took a step back. You'd expect that with Scotty Pippen jr. Being gone. Eric, uh, but certainly still, um, you know, it seems like they've elevated the program under Stackhouse, but they're not back to being a perennial NCAA tournament contender, which is what they were for, for many, many years under a not great coach and Kevin Stallings. So you can obviously uh, get to the NCAA tournament and win at a high level at Vanderbilt. And maybe that's what people think, you know, Stackhouse just can't bring in the talent to do that. But objectively, they – have had um, better teams under Jerry. And, and as Eric pointed out, they're certainly capable of having one of their best SEC finishes in a long time, even without uh, Scottie Pippen. Their biggest problems are, are pretty much all on the defensive end. They just aren't a very good uh, defensive team. They really struggle in their man defense. They really struggle when they have to press. And unfortunately for them, you know, they've had to press a little more than they've wanted to this year when they get behind. And their press has been eviscerated, um, you know, in 136 possessions. Uh, their press grades out as poor and has given up. Let's see. Let's just make sure we get it right. Yeah, I mean, when you've given up 49 field goals uh, on 92 attempts in your press, that's not really what you want to be. Um, and I think that, you know, they'll – Certainly, if Florida could build a lead and have a nice first half, um, you know, they could force Vanderbilt into dis situations defensively where they're even more uncomfortable. The matchup between Robbins and Castleton is probably the most intriguing because Colin has dealt with shorter, thicker centers pretty well um, and at times has struggled with the guys like Liam Robbins who are a little more big and reliant on, on angles and things of that nature. Yeah, I, I I do think Castleton probably eats again. Again, I I like Liam Robbins. He's turned into a good good player, but I, I think that it's going to be sure. just a little bit more. Um, Castleton's just going to be so much like quicker to to whatever outside foot of of, of Liam Robbins. I I still don't want to see as much like face up necessarily from from Castleton, but again, I just think he's going to be able to drop step around and get to that hook whenever he wants. So I do expect a pretty good game. I, I think the, the issue, well, I, I guess I'll say issue is, is more just like offensively is Liam Robbins just going to push Colin Castleton under the rim and get deep seals and, and catch and finish. Um, there's that possibility. So um, both guys might be able to, to get theirs, but you know, for Castleton getting his is like 29 points and for Liam Robbins getting his is like 15. So, um, you know, I don't think these guys are going to play to a, a duel. Um, 
I, again, with all due respect to Liam Robbins, who has had an excellent season and really turned himself into a really good player. Um, yeah, not at Castleton's level. Um, so um, we'll see if I have to, you know, eat those words. But again, I'll I'll, I'll credit to him. He's had an awesome season. But um, it's 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 also interesting too with Vanderbilt. Like I feel like they're just like an extremely consistent defensive team because they play so conservatively. Um, that's yeah. always kind of been the nature yeah. with 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 Stackhouse. Um, so because of that, it's, I think there's a little bit of like, I don't want to say, you know, dare the other team to make shots. It's not like they're like, I don't want to say they're passive, but, uh, they're, they're not an aggressive defensive team. So against, you know, Tennessee has struggled offensively as we know. Um, and, uh, we saw that Vanderbilt was able to keep them down and ultimately be in a situation where they had the ball with, with the last shot. So I think that's kind of just like going to be more of the concern is like when they drop pick and rolls against Kyle often is Kyle often going over eight again um, is, is uh, are, are they able to just, you know, collapse on, on Colin Castleton rolling and are they just going to, you know, live and die with see what, see if Riley Kugel and, and Will Richard are hitting um, that, that'll be interesting to see. Cause I think the Gators are going to get, get pretty good looks. And uh, again, I think that we have been on the side of, the, this isn't just a team that like needs to make shots. We think the shot quality hasn't been great, yep. but I think that again, and, but I, I think against Vanderbilt, you can just pencil in the Gators for a lot of pretty good shots. And uh, hopefully that's, that's something that's going to be able to, you know, propel them. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's also like just the Gators luck eh, to, to play Vanderbilt coming off, you know, their biggest win of the season, which it's also worth noting that Vanderbilt also beat Arkansas. So they have shown that they can, you know, play with, you know, good basketball teams and get wins. They've also just been, you know, unlike the Gators, they've lost to, you know, Grambling State and Southern Miss, which Southern Miss is a really good team that might win their league and you'll see them in the bracket. But, um, you know, Vanderbilt has shown that they can lose to bad teams, but they have shown they can beat Arkansas and, and, and Tennessee. And if you're the Gators, the time that to, to, to play Vanderbilt, you'd probably prefer it's not coming off this really difficult stretch for the Gators and Vanderbilt coming off their biggest win of the season. Yeah, and, and a guy that has keyed – well, two guys that really key things for them when they do beat someone good are our former Florida target, Miles Stute, who is a good – Miles Stute uh, is a good three-point shooter, um, a pretty good shooter. He's turned himself into a nice offensive player, which was kind of a question mark when he was being recruited. Um, and, you know, credit to Jerry Stackhouse for getting him comfortable with what he's good at. Um, and then the guy that's really come on for them is, is kind of a lightly recruited guy, three-star player. Uh, Tyron Lawrence, who got bumped up to his third star when Vanderbilt offered him. Mm. Um, and he had 22 against Arkansas. I think he had, I don't know, 18 or 19 last night, Eric, um, including that monster bucket at the end of the game. Yeah, and he's not a not a great shooter, but he got the wide open corner three against Tennessee and drilled it. So um, again, it's it's one of those things that even I even wonder, like a lot of people have talked about how Tennessee guarded that play that was um kind of selling out to, to take away the, the layup attempt, which uh, um, would have tied the game and instead gave up a three that uh, won the game for, for Vanderbilt. So some people are suggesting like, oh, they should have just, you know, not allowed a three. And then you send that game to overtime, even if you give up a layup. Yeah. But uh, I, I do wonder even how much of it was, um, was was even maybe the scout to be like, oh, like Tyron Lawrence entered this game shooting, you know, below 30% from three. If right. there's a guy we're going to help off to protect the rim, maybe that was a calculated gamble of like, hey, we'll let him shoot. But again, I'm of the mindset that you don't give up, you know, catch and shoot wide open threes to, to really <laughs> anyone. Um, but uh, if they did that to just say like, hey, we're going to, you know, live and die with it on the road. 
you know, maybe, but uh, whatever it is, he's of course going to be playing with a lot of confidence. He played really well their last two games punctuated with a game winner against Tennessee, which is super fun. Um, I, I love Memorial gym. I think them storming the court always looks amazing with people having to climb up onto the court. I, I, I love that. Um, probably adds another whole other safety element to uh, the, the situation. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. So, so he's a player that's a little bit more of a, of a slasher downhill guy as opposed to a shooter, but Hey, he hit the big one. Yeah, no, he really did. And, and that's a, a great point that you made about, about Tennessee and that help there. Um, you know, I did see some people say, oh, it's disastrous help. And I was thinking, I bet on the, the whiteboard, you know, that Tennessee famously has. You know, I wonder what it said about Tyron Lawrence. I didn't watch enough of the game to know, but I guarantee you it wasn't like face guard him on the three-point line, you know. So um, sometimes you have to make very quick decisions, and and that one didn't turn out so well for for the mighty Vols. Um, but big game for the Gators, 3.30 p.m. Uh, Florida really can't afford to lose any of these. And then it's a two-game homestand with um, dead man walking Kermit Davis and the Rebs. Mm-hmm heading in after that. Um, I'll let Eric sign us off. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.